Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. Amen. If you'll remain standing for the reading of God's Word as we come to the almost conclusion here of Mark chapter 15 and the book of Mark as a whole, as we have been seeing about Jesus Christ, that he was crucified, dead, and buried. The last two weeks we have looked at his crucifixion, his death, and today, Lord willing, We will look at his burial as we read this from Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 42. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already been dead. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. When he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud, taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that has been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene, And Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Thus the reading of God's holy word. Please be seated. My daughter, who is in second grade, is currently studying about the Egyptians. And recently, she, along with her class, went to a local museum that had Egyptian artifacts, including mummies and sarcophagus. And there, if you know anything about the Egyptians, it's this, is that they took death very seriously. In fact, there was a lot of planning and preparation for death, especially when it came to the pharaohs, that this preparation took place long before they would die, that the right location would be chosen, and then the preparation would begin. And there they would build, ranging from mud brick tombs to great pyramids, as we know. In fact, the Great Pyramid of Giza took almost 20 to 25 years to build, using over 100,000 workers, slaves, working on it every day of the week, using an estimated 2.3 million bricks, Approximately 6 million tons of rock and earth, all placed by hand. And there there would be an ornate burial casket, a sarcophagus. And there they would bury, along with the Pharaoh, several items that supposedly they would use in the afterlife. Ranging from gold to common household items. 
And this was all before the Pharaoh would die. And then once they did die, then the mummification process would take place. And this would last up to 70 days in order to do everything that they would need to do to the body. And finally, after all of that, the Pharaoh would be placed in its final resting place. In other words, there was a lot of planning and preparation that took place. Well, as we come to this passage this morning, in comparison, as we look at the burial of Christ, it was done in haste. They did not have years of planning and preparation. Not even days. No, from the time that Jesus came down from the cross to the time that the stone was rolled in front of the tomb, it would have been approximately three hours. They had to bury Jesus quickly because as the passage says, the Sabbath day approached. Three hours to do all that they needed to do in order for Jesus to be buried. And this burial comes courtesy Not of Jesus' family, not of one of his disciples, but a lone man, a lone disciple, Joseph of Arimathea. And even though it was done in haste, there was care and attention given to Jesus at his burial. The dignity that was lost during his trial and his crucifixion was restored here at his death. And I think it demonstrated this man's faith and the hope of what he was looking towards. And so even though it does not compare to the death and burial of one of the pharaohs, there is no greater death and burial than the death and burial of Jesus Christ. For all who die and all who are buried, be it from the least of men to the greatest of men, be it from servants to the greatest of pharaohs, All that die will disintegrate into dust. Because we were told from Genesis chapter 3 that that would be a result of the curse. That from the dust we come and to the dust we shall return. But here in the death of Jesus we see a hope that goes beyond the dust of death into eternal life. And so we'll look at that this morning in two points, the fulfillment in death and then identification with Christ in his death. First, the fulfillment in death. The last two weeks, as I mentioned, we have been looking at the crucifixion and death of Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ is not peripheral to the Christian story or to our very own testimony. It is central. It is the symbol of the Christian life, of salvation itself. Without it, there would be no hope. And so we do not want to miss the significance of what took place at the cross, that Jesus came to fulfill the covenant. That covenant that was made long ago with man, specifically with Adam in the garden. But as you know, Adam broke that covenant. And there, as we read in Genesis chapter 3, God says that there is going to be 
three resulting curses that come upon this earth. That there would be enmity, that there would be suffering, and ultimately there would be death. And those, as you know, are still in place this day. That the world rages on in enmity. That there is pain and suffering, and yes, also death. But do we not see that at the crucifixion, Jesus Christ endured each and every one of these curses? All the marks of the curse were laid to bear on the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he had to take all of the effects of the fall. Take all of the curses of the broken covenants upon himself. He endured enmity. The enmity of the evil one, Satan himself, and the enmity of this world. He suffered and bore the signs of this fallen earth. Those thorns and thistles that would grow as a result of the fall were therefore placed upon his head in the form of a crown. And he agonized to the point of not just sweating drops of sweat. But he agonized to the point of sweating drops of blood. Enduring the pain and suffering. And just as Adam and Eve were cut off from their relationship with God, as they were banished to the east of Eden, so Christ experienced there on the cross the broken relationship with the Father as the Father turned His back, turned His favorable presence from His Son. And finally, we see that last and final curse, that of death itself. So it is not significant in the least. Jesus had to endure all of these things. All of them demonstrated that he bore every aspect of the curse upon himself. And it's so easy, is it not, as we go through the details of Mark to miss the big picture Remember that we have been in this last week of Jesus for several chapters in the Gospel of Mark. Mark began this last week of Jesus way back in chapter 11. That was almost five chapters ago. And as we've been going through this week by week, it has taken a long time to get to this point, to the death and burial of Jesus Christ. In fact, we started chapter 11 way back in July of last year. That was a long time ago. And the whole congregation says, we know. (laughs) But you have endured well, and it has been a pleasure to look at depth at the word of God. And of this, the final week of our Lord. But the point is this, the majority of Mark's gospel is this final week. And so we must not miss the significance of what was taking place on this week. That this week happens to be Passover week. Which was not by coincidence. Or by chance. But rather it was planned Before the beginning of time. Because it was required for Jesus to be the true Passover lamb. 
And we see that, do we not? As we see this final week of Jesus Christ. Think back with me to chapter 11. And what does chapter 11 begin with? The triumphant entry. The Palm Sunday. That which we celebrate this very day. The week before Easter Sunday. And it's fascinating to me that the day that Jesus enters into Jerusalem would have been the same day that flocks of sheep would have been driven into Jerusalem. Why is that? Because it would have been the day that the Passover lamb would have been chosen by each and every family. Remember, if you read back in the Pentateuch, it is told that the lamb that was to be slaughtered was to be chosen four days before it was killed. And so if you think back, that Passover fell on that Thursday, that Thursday night into Friday. Four days before would have been that Sunday, Palm Sunday. And so Palm Sunday was the lamb selection day on the Passover calendar. And so do you not see the significance as the crowds cheer? Singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God the Father is saying, blessed is he who comes in my name. This is my lamb, the true lamb in which I have chosen. And we see that throughout this week. That even at the Passover feast, the time that the lamb would be slaughtered, there Jesus institutes the Last Supper. And Jesus would point to that Passover feast and say that this feast which you have been celebrating for centuries is fulfilled in me. For this is my body. And this is my blood. And hours later his body would be broken. And his blood would be shed. And yet, even there we read that no bone was broken just as no bone of the Passover lamb was to be broken. And what did this all represent? What did this Passover lamb represent? Well, remember back to Exodus chapter 12, that the angel of death would pass over that house that was marked with the blood of the lamb. That the wrath and curse would not fall upon that home, upon that family. Rather, they would be delivered. And not only would they be delivered from death, but subsequently they would be delivered from bondage and slavery, as that would be the event that led forth the great exodus out of Egypt. And so think of that, as all of that was being celebrated, as all of that was being commemorated this week, Jesus was bringing about a greater deliverance. Yes, even that wonderful deliverance that the Lord wrought, bringing forth His people from Egypt, was merely a foreshadowing. It was merely a pointing forward to what would happen on this day when Jesus Christ is crucified, dead, and buried. And so this day that we read of in this passage when all of Israel is celebrating this, is the day when all of true Israel is delivered. 
Not just delivered from Egypt, not just delivered from Pharaoh, but delivered from the wrath of God, from the curse of death. It passes over all who believe in that true Passover lamb. It passes over all God's people, past, present, and future. That mercy and grace is poured out. And so we do not want to miss what is taking place here in the death of Christ. Jesus Christ is our true Passover lamb. That is why when Jesus shows up on the scene, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is our Lamb that takes away our sins. He has passed over so that we are set free. Second then, because of Christ's death, we need to have identification with Christ, both in life and also in death. And we see that here in this passage. We see that there was one man that identified with Jesus in his death, in his burial. That since the time of Jesus' arrest, all seemingly stood passively by. But here, finally, at the occasion of his death, there was one that finally took action. And that man was Joseph of Arimathea. This is the only time that we hear of his name. We know nothing about him before this, and we hear nothing about him after it. But we do know a few things about him according to the Gospels. We know that he was a wealthy man. As Mark says, he was a well-respected man, a man of the council, a part of the Sanhedrin. John tells us that he was a secret disciple of Jesus. And he was a secret one because of fear of the Jews. Because association with Jesus meant being ostracized. And especially being a prominent man, perhaps a businessman, to be associated with Jesus would mean a loss of reputation, perhaps even wealth. But nevertheless, we read that, as Luke says, he was a good and righteous man. In other words, he was a true child of Abraham. As Paul would say, not looking to a righteousness that comes by the law, but a righteousness that comes by faith. He had faith. He had saving faith. That is what it means that he was a good and righteous man. Luke also tells us that he did not consent to the death of Jesus. In other words, he understood and he saw what a sham that trial was, what an utter injustice that took place with the trial before the Sanhedrin and as well before Pilate. But Mark tells us here that he was a man that was looking forward to the kingdom of God. In other words, he was looking forward to that messianic hope. And it seems, although we cannot know for sure, that perhaps it is here in Christ's death that all of it became crystal clear. All of it seemed to make sense to Joseph. Perhaps it is here that he understood that this is the true Passover lamb that is spoken about in Exodus chapter 12. Or perhaps that this was the 
true serpents that was lifted up in the wilderness, that all that looked to him would be saved. That this was the true manna that comes down from heaven. That this was the true son of David, the king of kings and lord of lords, or the hundreds of other pictures in the Old Testament that pointed forward to Jesus Christ. And perhaps it was there at his death, just like the centurion that we read of last week. He had this spiritual epiphany that truly this is the son of God. Perhaps also Joseph's eyes were open to the spiritual reality of this being the Christ, the Messiah. And so, although we do not know the depth of the spiritual faith or when this all took place for him, but we do know at least this, that it was here at his death, the death of Jesus, that he no longer feared the Jews. He remained a secret disciple no longer. But he goes forward in a very public way. And he asks for the body of Christ. Otherwise the Romans would have just thrown out the body. Thrown it on Gehenna. The place of fire. To be disposed of. But this disciple did not want such shame and disrespect to be given to the Lord. And I'll say this just as a quick side, that there should be proper respect given to the body, that our care of the body, both in life and in death, should be symbolic of our beliefs. Because as Christians, we do not believe that the body, even without life in it, is nothing. Because we are made in the image of God. And the image of God is made up of body, soul, and spirit. And the body is a part of that imago Dei. And so, even in death, we believe that there is significance with the body itself. That this body will be raised to the newness of life in the resurrection. And so, even as we confirm the body and commit the body to the ground... We believe that there is a hope. Not just a hope so, but a true and sure hope because of the resurrection and the life, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so even here with the care of Jesus' body at death, I think it points forward to the body as a whole and the respect that the body should be given. And so as Joseph comes forth, he goes to Pilate and Pilate is surprised that Jesus is already dead. Oftentimes the crucifixion could take two to three days before someone would finally pass away. And so he confirms with the centurion that indeed Jesus is dead. And he releases the body to Joseph. And then notice the actions. The indications of Joseph's love given to our Lord in death. First of all, as I said, he took the initiation that day. No one else was asking for the body of Christ. Not his family, not even the disciples. And yet to do so, he has to go to Pilate for the body to be released. That is the very man that just hours before sentenced him to death, essentially for treason. And so now Joseph going 
demonstrates that he is aligned with Jesus. And you see the risk there to even ask for the body. Furthermore, he is willing to endure the public shame that would come with this. Remember, Peter, hours before, the closest disciple to our Lord, denied even knowing Jesus, let alone being one of his disciples. And yet this man was willing to be associated with Jesus when, humanly speaking, there was nothing to gain. Only, in a sense, the risk and shame that would have been gained. And notice here that it was he himself that was doing all of these things. Being a rich man, no doubt he could have asked his servant to do this. But no, it says that he went, that he bought the linen shroud, that he took the Lord's body down, which means that he removed the nails, removed the crown of thorns, and he wrapped him in this linen garment. And then it says that he laid him in a brand new tomb, a rich man's tomb. Fulfilling again the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 53. That with the rich he would be buried. But think of that. That he placed him in his very own tomb. The tomb that perhaps he had constructed or had hewn out for himself or for his own family. He in essence by this action is saying Jesus is far more worthy than myself, or even my family members. And he places Jesus there. And as I said, this doesn't come without a cost. Remember that he is the one that is doing this. And as a result, he is handling a dead body. And so therefore, according to the law, according to Numbers 19.11, he would have been ceremonially unclean for seven days. That you would not be able to participate in temple sacrifice and in the ceremonies. And remember, again, this was Passover week, the most important week of the Jewish calendar. And Joseph is saying, no, this is far more worthy. Why? Because this is my Passover. This is where I'm delivered. This is where I am made free. All that was symbolized in Passover is fulfilled right here. This is far greater. I am not made unclean by touching this body. No, by this body I am made clean and eternally so. And so Joseph of Arimathea associates with Jesus in death. You know, everyone will associate with you in joy, and in gladness, and in celebration. Everyone loves a party. But few will join you in sadness. Few, only those that are very close, will join you in sorrow. And probably even fewer in loss or in death. Isn't that true? Isn't that what we see with Jesus and his ministry? During his life, He could barely get alone to be by himself. 
The crowds were always surrounding him, trying to get near him and touch him. But at the cross, there was plenty of room. There was no one there. Mark only mentions a few women that stood in attendance. Nobody wanted to get near. No one was trying to touch him now. No, everyone was turning their face and walking away, not wanting to associate with Jesus. So when it comes to his death, there is only one lone disciple that was willing to bury him. There was only one that was willing to take the risks, that was willing to take the shame, that was willing to take the cost to do so. But here's the point. If you want to know Jesus, if you want to know the life and salvation that is in Jesus Christ, then you too have to associate with Christ in his death and specifically in his burial. And so Joseph of Arimathea is a model for us of what this means and how we are to do it. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to to Romans chapter 6. And Paul picks up on this theme. And I know sometimes understanding Paul is, is challenging and difficult. Paul is deep. And sometimes you might as have as many questions as you do answers when you read a, a passage of one of the Apostle Paul's letters. And here, specifically in Romans, Paul gives the theology. And as you know, in, in chapters 1 through 5, he is laying out justification by faith. That is how we are saved. That is how we are to believe in in faith in Jesus Christ and and Him alone. And so when we get to chapter 6, we have this rhetorical question, this this wonderful question that no doubt, because if we are saved by faith, then where does works come in? Or in other words, does it really even matter how I'm supposed to live? And so Paul asked this question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That's a legitimate question. If it's by faith, if it's by grace, then does it matter how we are to live? And here in chapter 6, Paul begins to, to go into this aspect of sanctification. How is it that we're to live as believers in Jesus Christ? And notice this. I want you to see in this passage... How often he relates Jesus' death and burial to the death and burial of you, a disciple of Jesus Christ. How we must identify with Christ in that death. We must associate with him in that burial. Notice with me, read a few passages here, a few verses. He says, by no means, verse 2, how can we who died to sin Still live in it. Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Jesus Christ? We're baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. 
Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Do you see what Paul is saying there? He's saying, why is it that, that we don't just continue to sin? Why do we not just continue to live the way that we used to live? Just continuing to do those things that we know are wrong and sinful, but if we're saved by grace, then doesn't matter. Paul's saying you don't understand salvation. You don't understand what Jesus Christ has done. That Jesus Christ was crucified and died and buried. And specifically then in your salvation as you believe in that, that it's not only Jesus Christ that was crucified, died and buried, but that you also were crucified, dead and buried. And so therefore, we cannot live in that same way. We cannot continue Because the old self, the sinful self, has been crucified and killed and buried with Christ. It is dead. It is buried with Christ in the tomb. And we have been raised in the newness of life. No longer enslaved by sin, as he said, but set free. And we're raised in the newness. To be set free and live for Christ. So we must recognize that when Christ died, so did we. And we must associate with him in that death. At communion, every time we take communion, we say that we do this to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And as we proclaim the Lord's death, we should also proclaim our own death. That I died with Christ. And I'm raised in the newness of of life because of what Christ has done for me. As it says there in verse 8, we have died with Christ so that we may also live with him. And so no, we cannot continue to sin. As he goes on to say in verse 12, we cannot allow sin to reign in our mortal bodies. Why? Because that is dead. If I can put it frankly, we're not to continue to sin Because to do so would be like feeding a dead corpse. It's dead. Allow it to be dead. Don't continue to feed that old self that has died and buried with Christ. Do not continue to go back into Egypt, into bondage, into slavery when the Passover lamb has set you free. That is what Paul is saying. And isn't that such a wonderful Freeing message. Many of us can talk about a checkered past. An old self. But we can say, no, that part of me is dead. That part of me died with Christ. And as Paul says, I forget what is behind. And I press forward to what is ahead in Christ Jesus my Lord, but notice here the identification with Christ in his death. And so we need to spend some time here. We need to spend some time at the death and burial of Jesus Christ. So often we want to rush on. We want to rush off to Easter morning. But we need to realize the new reality as a result of Jesus' death, that there is a new identity that we have because of his death. As Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. And so Joseph of Arimathea might have been alone that day, but he cannot be alone this day. We must be with Christ 
at his death and identify with it. And is there a risk? Yes, absolutely. You must be able to risk it all. Leave it all. Is there shame? Absolutely. We must be willing to be mocked and ridiculed in order to follow Christ. Going counter to the ways of this world. And is there cost? Absolutely. The cost of your very own life. But the question is, is it worth it? Well, I think Easter morning should be the answer, the only answer that we need. And so what Joseph of Arimathea does is a beautiful thing. The God-honoring, loving acts. And we're called to the same as true disciples of Jesus Christ. And we are to die to him so that we may live in him and for him and one day with him. And that is the hope of the burial of Christ. At every graveside service, I usually say something similar. And I usually use that catechism question that at the death of the believer, the soul goes immediately to be with the Lord. But the body, still being united to Christ, rests in the grave until the resurrection. Notice that, that the body, still being united to Christ, rests in the grave until the resurrection. I usually say something to this effect. We will not forget this person. Nor will we forget the place where they are buried. But even if we do, and even if everybody else does, and if the Lord continues to tarry, and this place has no name upon it, the Lord Jesus Christ will not forget this soul, nor will he forget this body. That he will raise this body to newness of life. That is the hope and the promise that is fulfilled. Because Christ endured the death. And also, as we'll see on Easter morning, the resurrection. And so no risk, no shame, no cost is ever too great for the gift that we have in Jesus Christ. And so Pharaoh and the Egyptians might be specialists in death. But Jesus Christ's specialty is life. And life Everlasting, Indeed, on this Palm Sunday, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords because the author of life experienced death so that we may experience true life with him. And so, therefore, let us live for him, let us live in him, and let us live with him for all of eternity. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we... Thank you for this theme. And Lord, we do look forward to Easter morning. But in the days leading up to that, may we take some time to meditate upon your crucifixion and upon your death and even upon your burial. May we spend some time at your tomb this week, spiritually speaking, recognizing that because Christ died, and was buried. We too have a new identity. That the old man has been put to death. And we live 
and the newness of life as given in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that that would spur us on to live a life that is glorifying and pleasing to you. We pray that you would enable us and help us to do so. We pray this all in Christ Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.